I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Episode 46 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Hope you're doing well this week. As we continue to sludge through this difficult time, sports are trying to come back as quickly as possible, but for the time being, we stay, for the most part, depending on where you are in the country, in quarantine. Uh, hopefully, if you are uh, you know, following the social distancing uh, guidelines and things from the CDC and things like that, hopefully you're feeling a little bit better about where we are today. In the meantime, thank you as always for listening to the podcast on this week's show we will dive a little bit more into the draft the knicks plans for the draft current updates around certain prospects the knicks are excited about we'll dive into a little bit of that later on in the show uh, including a guy that i'm very interested in as well and we'll also get into one of the players who we had a feeling was going to be making some headlines at some point uh, and in this case it's not necessarily him but his family, and we'll talk to about that potential Knicks prospect as well in just a second. But first, oh yes, it's the Last Dance recap. We're going over seven and eight this week. Uh, two episodes to go after this week. It's going by. I don't know if it's going by too fast. If it's going by too slow. It just feels like it's kind of going, uh, it's day by day, right? It's day by day. Some days are slow, some days are fast. It seems to fluctuate week by week, but two good episodes this week on the book club. Again, the whole point of this is that hopefully you're watching The Last Dance every Sunday, and then we hash it out during the week's show, and then of course it'll lead into the next two episodes I actually had a couple of people this week <laughs> tell me hey you know uh this looks pretty good i should w-. i'm like this is the point like you <laughs> should be watching it before you get to the podcast so then we can talk uh, you know we can recap the previous two weeks episodes go over our favorite parts and then get ready for in this case episodes nine and ten uh which it's just gonna put a wrap on the last dance very uh bittersweet that we're already to the end. Last two episodes are on Sunday, but first we'll look back at episodes seven and eight. Uh, seven was interesting. I, I think six, five and six, I think were probably, um, I don't know. I, I, all all of the first you know eight episodes have been phenomenal, but I feel like this is kind of where things really start to to get good. I mean, listen, the dream team stuff was, was fantastic. The bad boy stuff was really good as well. I'll get to some of that in a second. 
also uh, what that reminds me of, and I'll I'll explain more in a second. But seven really, we're getting into the nitty gritty stuff, and and the and the stuff that again like I've been really excited to hear a little bit more about. Although we didn't get as much with the baseball stuff as I expected. Um, and again, and again, I'll get to this in a second. I've got a fun analogy that, that popped into my head getting ready for the show this week. But again, you know, Michael Jordan wins the first three-peat. He retires, and, you know, after his father's, um, after his father's murder, you know, the, the Scottie Pippen-led uh, Bulls get knocked out uh, in the 94 playoffs by the Knicks, who go on and uh, lose in the NBA Finals to the Rockets. And then, of course, the, the you know, the things surrounding that, you know, Jordan comments on his father's murder. Um, and he also comments on the gambling situation. You know, did he owe debt? And that's why his dad was killed. You know, that, that whole situation gets addressed. Was it a suspension? You know, instead of Jordan going to play baseball for his dad, was it a suspension for Jordan having off the field, uh, you know, concerns? I thought that was really interesting as well. You know, Scotty Pippen sitting out, giving up on the team in the 94 playoffs, when Tony Kukoc hits the game-winning shot and how much that hurt that team uh, that season in pursuit of a fourth straight NBA championship. Um, the Jordan retirement was really interesting. And and the thing that, that, gets, that, that, that I forgot about was that Jerry Reinsdorf owned both teams. He owned the Bulls and the, the White Sox. So <laughs> he, he was really on both sides of this. And I thought that was extremely interesting. And obviously, I'm sure that was part of the way that Jordan found himself with the double A team. I, I think the two there was twofold. How many people followed him and how the Birmingham Barons like thrived with Jordan there. It's incredible. And how Jordan kind of needed a break to kind of feel like one of the guys again. I think that was really well done also. But the numbers that Jordan put up at double A were again not eye popping. But for a guy that, you know, basically had never played, hadn't played baseball since high school, the numbers are incredible. You know, his full, in the, I think it's the one full season he plays, he hits 202. You know, I've called minor league baseball games. That's relatively average. You know, guys will get called up hitting 202 to the next level if they think they're good enough. So it's pretty crazy. The, the, the Jordan feud also with Sports Illustrated was really interesting because Jordan, the other thing I forgot about was Jordan was on a 13-game hitting streak to start off his minor league baseball career. That's incredible in itself. But then, guy stopped throwing fastballs to him. He couldn't hit a minor league curveball. And Sports Illustrated basically has the photo of Jordan, you know, not even close to hitting a 12-6 curveball, one that just dips down. The bat's not even close. And it basically tells Jordan to give up. And that was... Jordan's reaction to that was extremely interesting. No question about that. The Pippin, the Pippin stuff was interesting. You know, that really diving into Phil Jackson drawing up a play for Pippin, or actually drawing up a play for Tony Kukoc. Pippin didn't like that. He thought it should have been drawn up for him, and he sat out the play. And Tony Kukoc still hits the shot, and the Bulls beat the Knicks. I believe it was game three of that series, but the Knicks would recover and go on to the 94 
NBA Finals. The closest the Knicks came uh, to winning an NBA championship during that era. They went to seven games, of course, and lost to the Rockets and Akeem Olajuwon and company. So interesting stuff to kind of dive into there. And and again, the, the impact that Scotty giving up on the team had, you could just tell in the different interviews, the Steve Kerr interviews were great throughout these two episodes. I was wondering when, you know, we were going to really see a lot of Steve Kerr. And this is you know, six, six, we didn't get anything really. And then seven and eight, really, it's a lot of Steve Kerr. So I was excited to kind of get his perspective on it as well. And of course, we'll surely hear from him in episodes nine and 10 as well, whenever it gets to his big moment in the NBA finals. So excited to get a little bit more on that. Um, the 90s, you know, really were interesting during this time. And Jordan's retirement, I mean, the amount of people at the press conference was incredible. I mean, that was another really interesting little tidbit as well. Um, the, the David Stern side of it, we get to hear from David Stern on, again, the Jordan, you know, possible controversy uh, with the suspension. And, and things like that, which ended up not happening, the secret suspension theory. And not only does Jordan comment on that, but David Stern comments on that as well. And many people basically, I mean, even, um, well, who had that quote? I, I just had this up from the Chicago Tribune. They were looking at it. I think Mark Vansel, a Sun-Times alumnus, I believe. Um, I think he even wrote a book with Jordan as well. Um, he had the, he had a great uh, quote about David Stern basically saying that he was too much of a capitalist to quote lower the value of the rest of the league franchise by taking him out end quote and Vansel also asserts a weary Jordan laid out his plan in detail in 1992 the year before he did it that's all from the Chicago Tribune except for the quote but um or the or the Tribune also takes the quote but I, it the the fact that Jordan talks about this during the Dream Team Olympic run makes the the conspiracy theory kind of you know not really work but it's funny to hear david stern i didn't think like hearing from michael jordan we expected i didn't expect david stern to comment on this now he has in the past but i wasn't so sure if they were going to get a comment on him for this for some reason I, that was my thought process but he but he did he did comment on it vansel went on to say quote he said i'm going to shock the world this is jordan I'm going to quit and go play baseball. I said, he's, this is Vansley. He said, I said, when? He said, this is Jordan. I do it now, but Bird and Magic never won three in a row. And I've got to do the Olympics. But if it wasn't for that, I'd be playing baseball this summer. That was a great little tidbit about Jordan's frame of mind at the time. And I really, I'm really glad they included that in the documentary. I thought that really tied a nice bow on what actually happened and kind of got away from the kind of ridiculous conspiracy theory about his dad and Jordan's gambling. Uh, another great anecdote, and this is again, the Tribune brought this up, and I, it, was, it was actually in the notes that I took as well, which is why I wanted to share it. Uh, Ahmad Rashad from NBC uh, was used a lot in this documentary as well. Of course, he's a friend of Jordan's and covered him a lot during his career. Um, Rashad tells of Jordan being lost in grief after his father's death uh, to the point that he couldn't even tie his own necktie, and Rashad had to do it for him. And on top of that, the first game that Jordan plays back in the NBA, you know, the, the fantastic return um, 
in 95 and Jordan, you know, comes back to try to help this Bulls team recover from a slow start. The Bulls end up losing to the Magic in the playoffs. Horace Grant, of course, was on the Magic and they won in Chicago, rubbing a little more salt into the wounds of the Bulls. We'll get to that in a second and a little bit more on that in a second. But uh, obviously the the I'm back uh, quote, you know, Jordan had all these things given to him to announce that he was going to come back and he just wrote I'm back and wrote his own press release. It was fantastic. I love that story as well, how Jordan was the one who came up with that. Um, And where was I going? I wanted to mention... I wanted to mention the first game back because he was wearing his shorts on backwards. It got to the point where Michael Jordan was on the court having a terrible game and his basketball shorts are on backwards. I mean, that was just the epitome of where he was at that time. And again, it's his first first time ever playing when his dad wasn't there. Shows you where his frame of mindset, it shows you where his frame of mind is where he where he was at physically during the game and then of course mentally during the game as well i really enjoyed learning a little bit more about that as well um and then you know there's a lot of great clips throughout uh the documentary i enjoyed watching the the clips of jordan signing autographs i enjoyed the the clips of of him with the with the birmingham barons in the in the clubhouse in the dugout um, and the great stories from some of his teammates and from him as well about that time also. So I, I, I really thought that that was a great, um, a great way to kind of give you a little bit more on his baseball career. And again, the story's you know, telling you how good he ended up really being um, throughout you know, his time in baseball pretty remarkable stuff um and again it kind of leads you into episode eight um and again there's a little there's a to be fair the scotty pippen moment is is gone over a lot in episode seven um but you know the one last thing i'll mention on that because it was very interesting was simply the fact that they didn't it wasn't scotty it wasn't in his dna to do what he did it was a very selfish moment, and I thought that that was really well brought across in the documentary. It made a lot of sense to bring that up. It made sense for the teammates to bring that up, and it made sense for Scotty to address it. And Scotty knew exactly what he did, apparently, when he got into the locker room after the game and how much it hurt the team, and he addressed it right away, and the Bulls tried to kind of move on from there. So it really... Uh, is crazy, and again, the impact on Jordan's retirement, his impact on that on the Birmingham Barons. Uh, oh, Terry Francona was his manager. Uh, that was something that I completely forgot about uh, as well. That was something that I kind of uh, learned during. I had no idea that uh, Terry Francona managed Michael Jordan. Uh, that was a bit. I did not expect Terry Francona to be in the documentary, and then I see him getting interviewed. I'm like, holy smokes! Uh, and for those that don't know who Terry Francona is, he's the former manager of the Red Sox and current manager of the Cleveland Indians, a very successful Major League Baseball manager. And he he's the one that ends up coaching Michael Jordan uh, while he went on his hiatus from basketball. 
crazy stuff there. Uh, episode 8. Let me quickly go through this. this. was I thought this was the better of the two episodes. And again, it's such fine margins in that regard. But I, I wanted to kind of touch on this first. Uh, or touch on that before we went into this. The, the whole... Uh, the Space Jam basketball camp that comes up is incredible to me. Michael Jordan obviously goes to film Space Jam in Hollywood um, and he still has to get back in basketball shape. This is, of course, after um, the Bulls lose in the NBA playoffs. You know, the the Magic knocked them out um, pretty convincingly. That was the Anthony Hardaway, Shaq, Horace Grant, Nick Anderson, Orlando Magic that, you know many thought could go on and win the NBA championship in 1995. But of course they also ended up coming up short as well. And then the bulls met them the next year. Jordan was at full strength and they swept the magic out of the playoffs. And, and, and of course the, the great moment of, of, uh, Horace Grant, you know, being lifted up inside, uh, uh, I guess would be now the United center in Chicago after they won the clincher in Chi Town, and then the next year, uh, the Bulls weren't having any of it, and they swept them aside in 95 96 uh, with that great 72 and 10 team. And again, to, for that to be the team that comes after the, the Jordan coming back, and you know, the 45 Jordan, you know, that was a homage to his high school number, and then Nick Anderson saying that's not really Michael Jordan, then he comes out in 23 the next game, and all that stuff was great. Um, as well. Uh, I love the motivation behind that, but again, the camp, I want to dive back into the camp for a second. You know, everyone's showing up, you know, Juwan Howard, Reggie Miller, you know, you name it, all these, you know, really good NBA players are on set and Jordan's filming for whatever. I think Reggie Miller kind of mapped it out three or eight hour days. And then he's playing basketball until like 10, 11 o'clock. And then he wakes up at 5am and he's doing it again. So I, Mike, I think I think Reggie Miller's quote on Michael Jordan was basically that he was a vampire. I mean, that's a great quote, and it's just an insane work ethic that you get to get a little bit more of the behind the scenes with uh, from Michael Jordan. I really enjoyed the learning more about those games because those are, you know, again the dream team practices get talked about quite a bit, but the Space Jam like mini camps are not really as talked about. I thought that was really fun uh to learn a little bit more about that as well but again they they dive into 45 to 23 jordan having to switch numbers after nick anderson's quotes didn't matter uh the magic still won the series and again it goes into the space jam uh summer camp if you will which was awesome and then the 95 96 bulls uh who had the the Record at the time, 72 win regular season, 72 and 10. They destroyed the Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals rematch. And then the great, uh, you know, beating the great Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Sonics team in the finals and Jordan winning uh, game six on Father's Day to basically win his first title since his dad had passed away. Really great moment, and again, hit the shot of him in the locker room is probably the best shot of the documentary so far, crying 
with a basketball next to a training table. Um, really crazy stuff. I, I really thought that that was, um, that was phenomenal. Uh, the two other things uh, surrounding the, you know, they kind of bounce back and forth between, of course, the, the three-peat, the beginning of the second three-peat run, and then, of course, the 98 season, which I love. They dive into the B.J. Armstrong game, uh, which was fantastic. Uh, the Bulls faced um, the Charlotte Hornets in the Eastern Conference semifinals. B.J. Armstrong puts together a fantastic game and basically you know, gives it to his old teammates, who he had won championships with in the past. And Jordan basically annihilates them in the next couple of games and knocks the Hornets out of the playoffs. And Jordan was just looking for inspiration and motivation and, and things like that. It led me into arguably the best story involving Michael Jordan in the entire documentary so far, which is the LeBradford Smith story. And LeBradford Smith was a rookie, I believe at the time with the Washington Bullets. That's how long ago this was, but in 93, he goes to Chicago Stadium and gives the Bulls 37. Uh, Jordan scored 22, the Bulls won. Smith apparently, according to the documentary, had gone up in, to Michael Jordan and said, nice game, Michael, as they walked off the floor, and that really pissed Michael Jordan off. So they the teams met again, second night of a back-to-back in Landover, Maryland, and Jordan says before the game, "I'm gonna, st- I'm gonna do what he did in a half." And Jordan just absolutely destroys Smith. He had his first eight shots of the game, and Jordan had 47 points in three quarters, and the Bulls <laughs> walloped the Bullets. Here's the here's the kicker, and it's arguably the best thing I've heard in the documentary so far. For those that, again, this is a story that I've heard before, but when you hear it set up in the documentary, it's 20 times better. Here's the problem with uh, the the motivating part for this involving Michael Jordan. Smith never said, nice game, Michael. He didn't say anything to Michael after the game in Chicago. Never heard it from Michael. And apparently... He made the whole thing up in his head to get ready for the next game to just go off. It never happened. He made it up, and it was all just to motivate himself to kick Washington's butt the next night, and it worked. So it just uh, crazy. I, that was just like, oh my god. I mean, just the mental toughness uh, really was incredible with Michael Jordan. Uh, before we take a break, I want to mention one more thing from episode eight that I thought was really interesting um, as well. Again, they kind of dive a little bit back into the baseball side of things as well. And again, they mentioned the batting average. Again, the 202 batting average is remarkable. It really is crazy. But the last thing I want to mention before uh, we finish up the recap is... Gary Payton's thoughts, because again, Jordan and the Bulls go up 3-0 in the series uh, against Seattle. Seattle wins the next two games. They win games 4-5, and five, they avoid elimination, and they send it to a game 6. 
Gary Payton's rationale to this day, and he says in the documentary, is that he hadn't guarded Michael in the first three games one-on-one for a lot of the games. He specifically guarded Michael in games four and five. And they actually go through the stats, I think, in game four. And he actually did a decent job on Michael Jordan. So Peyton says what he says, and then they play what he says. And these are some of the best moments in the documentary. They play what Gary Payton said to Michael Jordan. And he's holding up the little uh, iPad, and he's, he's, he's cracking up over what Gary Payton is saying. And basically just says, quote, I had no problem with Gary Payton. I had a lot of other things on my mind, end quote. So Jordan's not, you know, he doesn't share what those things are. It wasn't about his father, you know, something else. He was obviously very uh, wanted still at that time by the media and by the public. Was it about that? I don't know. But I just love the fact that Jordan basically said, eh, it was basically, eh, he didn't do that great of a job. <laughs> it wasn't that, wasn't that big of a deal. Because we ended up winning, you know, Bulls end up winning game six. Jordan has a big game. They win uh, the fourth title in, you know, that six-year window. So that was really funny to kind of hear Gary Payton be like, you know, I kind of got one, got one or two over on Mike. And then Jordan was like, eh, not really. And then we, we won the title anyway. So, and, and by the way, just another in a long line of great teams that Jordan's Bulls beat during this dynasty. I mean, just a really good Sonics team at the time. I mean, arguably the best Sonics team ever. And, you know, we don't, you know, it doesn't really get much better for Seattle uh, towards the end of that 90s, towards the end of that decade. And then, of course, by the end of the next decade, there's no more uh, NBA basketball in Seattle. So crazy stuff going on uh, with that second part, the episode eight, of the documentary as well. I got a little bit of a theory on The Last Dance and on ESPN 30 for 30 coming up next. And I also want to talk about Cole Anthony and not LaMelo Ball. Yeah, remember that guy? Remember that guy's dad, LaVar? Yeah, we'll talk a little bit about him coming up next on the Shock Shock Hits podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, so I wasn't sure how I wanted to go about this, but it was something that I came up with kind of in my head throughout the time. Like, this is how I've been kind of, um, you know, taking in the last dance for one, you know, for lack of a better term. And for some reason, this popped into my head yesterday while I was getting ready to do the show and a little bit right before I started recording. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I was, I don't know if it's a perfect fit. I feel good about it. And, and it just kind of made sense to me. Um, the last dance kind of feels like, and, 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 you know, for those that are, uh, for those who haven't kept up 
with the last dance for those that haven't um you know for, for on top of that for those that haven't like uh kept up with 30 for 30s this might not be 100% and if you don't keep up with superhero movies this definitely won't uh won't get it done for you either but the last dance kind of feels like avengers endgame like it kind of feels like the the big one at the end of all this all like a great line of nba 30 for 30s again it's not all of the 30 for 30s but the last dance kind of feels like endgame in some way like the 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 last dance is kind of like the penultimate it all kind of comes together to you know with, with a lot of these others and a lot of the supporting cast have their own documentaries you know what i mean like reggie miller winning time reggie miller versus the new york knicks is a documentary that definitely fits in to this universe of nba 90s basketball um i would i would also throw in the bad boys documentary as well uh that's definitely uh about the the detroit pistons definitely uh one uh, one that's uh involved in this as well Lakers versus Celtics, Magic versus uh, Larry Bird, definitely deserves to be in this conversation as well. Um, and there was a couple of others that I wanted to throw out there. Um, this Magic moment about the Orlando Magic definitely deserves uh, to be in this conversation as well. Um, I, I, I just, there's so many of them that kind of intertwine throughout this documentary and like, you know how I've kind of been saying like throughout, uh, these different documentaries, like you gotta, you gotta watch this documentary to know a little bit more like, like Jordan rides the bus is another great documentary that kind of is a supporting documentary for this and i i just enjoyed figuring that out so much because these documentaries in a way all all lead up to the final documentary end game if you will and, and it's the last dance so you know we go through captain america we go through you know captain america is kind of the the dream team in a way you know thor is is uh i don't know uh <laughs> Maybe the magic, because Shaq, you know, is is a hammer thrower, if you will. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, Iron Man, you know, could easily be, you know, maybe a Reggie Miller or someone like that. So I, I, I thought that was, I just, I was just started playing around with that in my head. But I, it just kind of makes sense. Like, it's just, it's, 90s basketball was such a big part of sports culture. You know, even the Dennis Rodman documentary, I think you have to throw in there as well. I mean, there's so many. There's so many that that ESPN has done, and it all kind of leads to this. It leads to the last dance. So it's, it's I don't know. I, I enjoyed kind of figuring that out, if you will, in my head, and I enjoyed kind of breaking that down yesterday to myself, of course, we're in quarantine, uh, and, and trying to, uh, see if that kind of worked, if it works, if you think it works, 
if you in uh, if you uh, enjoy both the the ESPN 30 for 30s and the Avengers, uh, let me know if you think that's good or not. I got nothing else to do, so hit me up at SJ7 on Twitter. And of course, if you guys have any questions that you want to shoot my way, uh, that's the best place to do it at S Saint spelled out S A I N T J seven on Twitter or my full name Sean Saint Jacques, the real Sean Saint Jacques on Instagram. I had a couple of people reach out uh, through that as well. So th- those are the two best places to do it. And uh, yeah, again, don't be shy. Uh, so before we get out of here, um. More Knicks draft stuff. This has been something you guys have enjoyed a lot during the quarantine period. It's kind of the only thing Knicks fans have to look forward to because it doesn't look like, you know, the way the NBA is going right now uh, and the way the COVID-19 pandemic is going, you know, there's a very good chance that this NBA regular season is not going to be completed. And I think the best case scenario is, we, you know, we probably only have the NBA playoffs, which means the standings will probably stay the way they are. And, of course, the Knicks are nowhere near a playoff spot, which means they would just start preparing uh, for the NBA draft. Leon Rose, Scott Perry leading the way, and we would have to see what happens from there. Uh, more stuff on LeVar Ball. Apparently, this is the second time uh, that LeVar Ball has come out publicly, and he wants his son to be a New York Nick. I, I mean, I, I don't fully buy this. I'm not really fully on board with uh, what LeVar is doing. This is clearly what he does. He's not afraid to say any of this stuff. This is normal uh, for him. This is not anything new. For those that have followed Lonzo Ball, uh, you are very much aware of who LeVar Ball is. So he wants his son to be a Nick. Uh, He said this on the Load Management Podcast on Wednesday Basically, he said that his, he thinks his son should be considered for the number one pick, but uh, Ball is going to try and steer his son to the Knicks. Um, so what's what's nice about this, and listen, the Knicks have, according to the New York Post, and I, and I double-checked this just because uh, I have not, I had nothing else to do, um, <laughs> and it's, this is correct, the Knicks have a 37.2% chance Um of moving up in the draft lottery, which is postponed, by the way, from May 19th. We're not sure yet uh, what is going to happen with that. LeVar said, quote, the best fit in my eyes is the New York Knicks. It's time for something good to happen to them. Um, But it's LeVar Ball. So he's not saying that uh, with, in regards to the Knicks, he's saying that in regards to his son. So here's my, this is the one problem I've had from the beginning about uh, LaMelo Ball being a Nick is his dad. We don't know what his dad's going to be like. He could be a wild card. And again, if if LaMelo Ball is not playing well, having his dad around is going to be hell for the Knicks organization. And if you don't believe me, look how quickly Lonzo Ball got traded from the Lakers. I mean, when LeBron's running the show, I'm not saying, again, there's nobody like that with the Knicks, but at some point, something's got to give. And if you're not playing well enough, you're going to get traded. And now nobody hears from Lonzo Ball because he's in, a, in he's with the Pelicans on a bad team in a bad market. So, or in a smaller market, I should say. New Orleans market's great. It's just, it's just small comparatively to some of the bigger markets like New York or LA. So it, it's ridiculous that 
it's not it's not out of the ordinary that he's doing this, but it's not helping <laughs> that he's doing this. And again, the Knicks, there's a good chance the Knicks don't get LaMelo Ball. Again, it's only a 37.2% chance that the Knicks move up at all, let alone to the number one spot where he believes his beloved son is going to get picked. By the way, you know, there are a lot of draft boards that have Lonzo Ball, I'm sorry, LaMelo Ball, not as the top pick. So it's, you know, how high do the Knicks have to go? I don't know. Uh, and coupled with the fact that the Knicks, you know, the other rumor that I wanted to mention that's that's come up is Cole Anthony has been ex- scouted extensively by the Knicks ahead of the upcoming 2020 NBA draft, according to SNY. So, and Cole Anthony has said multiple times on different platforms that he would love to be a Nick. He's a New York native. His father, Greg Anthony, I'm sure you guys know, he's still a commentator, I believe, for TNT, was a Knicks first-round pick in 1991 and spent four seasons with the team during some pretty darn good times for Knicks basketball. So it, there's a bit of of pedigree here, ton of talent as well. And when you look at the other Knicks options, again, Dennis Smith Jr., Frank Nilakina, Alfred Payton, the Knicks still need a point guard. You know what I mean? And Cole Anthony, for me, I, and I've said this to multiple people, he's the pick for me. Because when you consider where the Knicks would pick, have the best chance of picking, the highest they could possibly get, you know, statistically, most likely what's the highest they could possibly get within reason, it makes the most sense. Cole Anthony, to me, is would be perfect for the Knicks to get because then you get the point guard position checked off, you've got arguably the best point guard in the draft, and then you can have the other two picks, late first round and early second round, to look around and see where else you can improve the roster. If you get the first pick right, I said this probably an episode or two ago, if you get the first pick right, the rest is house money for the Knicks in this draft. You can now kind of play around and see what you, you know what you want to do here. You can think about trading those two picks for a star. You can think about you know other positions on the roster that you think would be you know you would need. You can think about trading up with those other two picks. There's other things you can do in the draft with those two picks when the point guard for the future is in place. And again, I've said in the past, I would be fine with LaMelo Ball. If LaMelo Ball fell to five and the Knicks were at five, I might take him. I might take him there. It's it's a decent value. And there's something to work with there. He's obviously got talent. But it's much more likely that LaMelo Ball's picked in the top three and the Knicks aren't going to be there to get him, whether they get that high in the lottery or trade for him. I don't think either of those things are very likely. Cole Anthony's the guy, and there's really not many other options. The Knicks have to get him at that point. Again, if LaMelo Ball's off the board, it's got to be Cole Anthony. And again, there's an argument to be made if even if LaMelo Ball's on the board, I would still take Cole Anthony. But it's got to be one of those two guys, or the Knicks have not had a good draft. Bottom line. Now again, if the Knicks get lucky, and we're looking at a top two pick, that slightly changes things. Because now Anthony Edwards is in play. And Anthony Edwards could be a generational talent, the kid out of Georgia. But we can't really talk about that until the Knicks pull a rabbit out of that hat on lottery night, whenever that's going to be. So there's a lot to discuss right now 
around the Knicks draft situation. And we'll probably be talking about that long after the last dance book club is over. So you'll have that to look forward to. But it's one of those things where I look at what the Knicks have for options in the first round. And for me, again, this is considering where they could and more most likely will be picking, which is five or six. There's a very good chance that Cole Anthony is going to be there. And I think that if he is there, the Knicks have to take him. They really don't have much of a choice. And I think that they're going to look at him, again, That they're looking at him very closely. They think they're going to have something really good in him if, they, if he's there, I'm sure. I, I, I'd be shocked if the Knicks looked at Cole Anthony and they were like, maybe we should go somewhere else. Unless that somewhere else is LaMelo Ball. I, I can see where they would think that LaMelo Ball as a player would be a good fit. But you got to think about what his dad brings to the table which is a constant distraction off the court. And in New York, he can have a field day with the media. A field day. He'll be everywhere. And now with ESPN Studios in New York, who knows what this guy's going to be capable of. So you got to be you got to be very wary of what he has got up his sleeve. Because again, if LaMelo Ball struggles for the first year, it's going to be like, oh my God, this kid's not that good. We missed on another point guard and now this dad won't shut up. So that, that's the risk. That's the big risk you take by selecting LaMelo Ball in the first round. For me, Cole Anthony feels like the, the rock-solid pick. He's, a, he's arguably as good of a player as LaMelo Ball will be. I, I think he's got as much talent. I think he's obviously, he could honestly, I, I think, possibly be a starting point guard for the Knicks next season. And, and to be honest, LaMelo Ball's got that same chance. Cause just because of who's on this roster. But I really, I, I think for me, I think you go with the kid. I think you go with the New York kid. I think you go with Cole Anthony. He makes the most sense to me. Again, I've said this in the past. As a player, LaMelo Ball makes sense, but it's a risk. It's a risk. And it's more of a risk than Cole Anthony because of who the guy's dad is. So it's one of those things it's how you have to deal with with the ball family because you just don't know what they're going to do so it's going to be interesting to see what leon rose and scott perry decide to do but i love the fact that the knicks are doing their due diligence on cole anthony it makes sense it, it just it makes it almost makes too much sense not to do it in my opinion and i'm saying that however far out we are from the i've been saying that from the beginning i think cole anthony is the guy and if you get him I'd have a huge sigh of relief. I was, a, you know, I am a Knicks fan. On the night being a Knicks fan, I'd have a huge sigh of relief. I'd be very, very happy with the selection. And then the next two picks is like, all right, let's build some momentum. What else can we do here? Do, can we trade for somebody else, a star or something like that? Or can we continue to build young talent on the roster? Or maybe trade up or a combination of those different scenarios. So it'll be exciting to see what happens but for me Cole Anthony is number one on the next list for where they are picking and it'll be interesting to see what happens whenever draft night rolls around all right that's the end of this week's episode as always thank you so much for tuning in make sure to subscribe and leave us a good rating and review on iTunes make sure to also follow me on Twitter at SJ7 to keep up with all the podcasts that come out every week stay safe and I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network.